Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. This life we live as Christians, as children of God, is a life of faith and a life of trust. And I, I think as I came in this morning, one of the things the Lord was showing me as I just saw you all this morning is again how much our church walks by faith. And as I look, look out on our church congregation, I just think of all the ways that you are trusting and depending on God, on your future, provision, raising kids and, and grandchildren and foster kids and adopted kids in and, and ways that you're, you're trusting him in, in small decisions as well as big decisions and stepping out in faith and in trust in areas where, where you're moving forward in the Christian life as you're sharing your faith with people. And uh, we need mornings like this to bring us back again to the promises of God. And I can't wait to share with you what God has, has given me in the word today in Joshua chapter 1 as we get there in just a few moments. I want to remind you that tomorrow is our River of Life Day of Fasting. And uh, I've encouraged our church body uh, together to fast on this day, on Monday, tomorrow. And I want to remind you of that and uh, encourage you to participate in that. Fasting typically is a time for us to take away uh, food from our life for a period of time where we say that the outer man is less important than the inner man. That we want to be filled up by God. And during that time, I want you to, if you would, take the day to seek the Lord. And, and I put together a little guide for you. If you would pick one up at the uh, information counter or at the table as you head out um, of the doors here in the lobby. There's some of these sheets, these bright green sheets. Once you look at it, it's burned in your eyes forever. And uh, so if you read through that, it gives you some background on it. And then on the back side, some uh, possible direction for how you might use that time during those different meal times that you would take and uh, allow that to be a time that guides you through uh, really focusing on God. And every time you're hungry, let that turn you towards the Lord and let that be something that causes you to seek uh, Christ in that moment rather than the fulfillment of your outer man. Well, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1 today as we uh, continue to move into our series on Joshua. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to read the entire chapter here, and then we're going to dive into what God has for us out of this chapter this morning. So Joshua chapter 1, I'll read through it here. It's a longer text, and as, as we go through Joshua, we're going to be taking these larger sections, and we're going to be reading all of them the entire chapters as we look at them and uh, looking at what the text has to say. So we're going to need to get used to some longer scripture reading than we maybe typically have on a Sunday morning. So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the land or to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. 
No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that, the Moses, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you must pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given, is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. And the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. It's the word of God from Joshua chapter 1. Well, in 2015, I was attending a camp at, in uh, Minnesota named Big Sandy Camp, a big alliance camp there. And they have a zip line in this camp. And the zip line runs several hundred feet from up the hill and comes down towards the lake and, and comes down to a spot, a beautiful spot. But you stop in a tree about uh, 60 to 75 feet up in the tree. You're way up there in this huge pine tree. You can see a picture of it there. And you come down, you land on the platform, and so about five people go, and then they stop, and, and they get ready to unload you off of this platform. There's only one way down, and that's to clip in and use an auto belayer that lowers you down. But in order to do that, they walk you to the edge in your, where you're clipped in, and you're to step off the edge of this platform with nothing below you and just drop and trust that this auto belayer is going to catch you. Well, I thought it would be very easy to do. I'd watched many people do that until I was up there. And I stood there on the edge of it with these kids with me thinking, I don't want them to think I'm a, you know, a pansy and can't walk off this thing. So, but in my head, there's a battle going on. 
Will I actually step off the edge of this, of this platform or not? The thoughts that went through my head is, you know, there's got to be a different way to get down. Maybe there's something else I could do. What if it doesn't catch me? What if, what if I drop to the ground? <clears throat> I was faced with a decision and would I step off? Well, you can see what I ultimately ended up doing is I did go ahead and, and step off. But there was that moment of decision. Will I do it or will I not? Will I trust this device or will I not? Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites are standing on the edge of the wilderness, about to come into the promised land. And they're standing on the edge, a place of faith. Will they trust God or not? Sight says, don't do it. God says, do it and I'll be with you and I'll guide you into it. Well, they've had some failure in the past and maybe that's sitting in their mind. They've been tested and perhaps in the midst of this, they're ready to move forward. But remember, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of things not seen. Right here, the Israelites are faced with that. Last week, we reviewed a couple of the themes that go throughout the book of Joshua. And you might remember a few of these. Faith versus fear is one of them. Another one is the holy and redeeming God. A third one is the purity of of worship in the hearts of God's people. The book of Joshua is all about a people that are about to move forward, to go. This mission, this task that God has given them with a promise, something good that lies within that. Reminds me an awful lot of the New Testament church. God's given us a task. He's given us today something to do, a place to go, a direction to head. And we're a lot like them. We have the Great Commission. But here Joshua in this entire book is all about moving forward. And Joshua 1 is the preparation for that. It's the largest testing of their faith to date. Will they actually take that step or will there be a hesitation in their faith? They already have all they need. Well, many of us hesitate when there's a step of faith in front of us, don't we? If we're told, why don't you go out and share your faith with your neighbor? My heart at least has a hesitation. My heart says, all right, God, by faith, I might try to do that, but that's a difficult thing for me to do. If I'm going to share Christ with a coworker who's in crisis, if you're a student and you're going to get up and change lunch tables so that you can reach out to somebody you don't know or you know is, is going through something difficult or is alone. If you're called to missions and you're faced with that question, will you do it or not? If you're called to ministry and will I step forward in something? And as a church, even when you think of things that God calls us into, even as us, for us as a church, if we're called into church planting and heading that direction, what does that look like? Isn't there a side of us that might relate to this idea of hesitation? Perhaps you're in a place where even trusting Jesus as Savior is a place where it's a leap of faith. It's a step of faith. We're going to relate to the things in this Joshua chapter 1. Because if... Faith is all about being in a place where if God doesn't show up, it's all over for us. If God doesn't show up, then things aren't going to work out. And that's exactly what's going on. It seems that so often when we're called to move into a place of faith, there are obstacles that pop up that might stop us from taking steps forward. These faith killers that 
Joshua's people, the Israelites faced, are the same faith, faith killers that we face today. But God gives solutions in those areas. I want to break it down today into three different areas that, that would be things that we would relate to that the Israelites were facing that, that virtually could have stopped them in their tracks, kept them from moving forward. And God needed to deal with a couple of things in preparing the people for taking in the promised land. Well, to get to the first one, I don't know if you noticed it here in the, as we read through this book. But God gives Joshua a bit of a, a pep talk. He gives him a bit of a pep talk. It's like Joshua needed to hear something. He needed to be told to something. Because the task that was in front of him was about to be very difficult. He was to lead. He was to take over the, the leadership of Moses, whom the people had trusted. And now is the new leader that was going to take on helping the people come into the promised land. Joshua is about to face the hardest leadership task of his entire life. It would be costly to him. It would be costly to the people of Israel. There would be energy expended, resources expended. There would be war, and that would cost lives. But the promise is there that this land would be inherited, and on the other side, there would be a place of rest. Joshua has been being prepared for this moment throughout most of his life, as well as the people of God. But for Joshua, you think of the things he's experienced. He's come out of Egypt with the people. And here, as he's been brought up as the assistant of Moses, he's experienced a number of things that have been preparing him for this moment of faith in his life. You think of the things he experienced when they were called out of of Egypt, the miracles that God performed in in getting uh, Pharaoh ready to let the people go. Then as they left, seeing the Red Sea opened and the people able to cross that, and the faith that must have swelled in them. He's experienced the grumbling of the people and the complaining of the people about where they've been taken and now out in the desert. But then he's been on Mount Sinai and he's seen the glory of God along with Moses as the law was given to Moses. And then he came down and he saw the golden calf and the fickle hearts of the people and God's anger that that burned in those moments. He's seen provision as they wandered even in the desert. Joshua has has been prepared for this moment. And yet the same things that seem to have plagued him and the people of God are the very things that God begins to say, watch out because these are obstacles right in this moment now. Your faith may have been built, but the same obstacles are right there. Be aware of them. And namely one of them being fear. Fear has already stopped the Israelites once. Fear has already stopped them in their tracks once. You remember when the spies had been sent out into the promised land prior to the wanderings in the desert? They've been sent out. They came back and they reported to the people that it's a great land flowing with milk and honey. It's a great land to possess. And it would be awesome if God gave it to us. But the Canaanites, the Canaanites are a big people. And there's many of them. And the numbers don't add up. How could we possibly possess this land? See, the Israelites looked and they evaluated things based on the physical world only. Numbers 14 verses 1 through 4 talks about this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. 
And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us just to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. But thank the Lord for leaders like Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, who stood before the people and pleaded with the people in in Numbers 14. As they talked to the people, they reminded them of the promise of God. Good leaders always do that. Do you remember the promise of God? Do you remember what he's told us would happen? If we, that God would fight for us. That with God, we can win. That this isn't about just seeing things from the, with physical eyes. God had told them to go. Numbers uh, 14 and verse 9, the, the leaders remind them, Only do not rebel against the Lord, they said. And do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. So do not fear them. See we know this. But we have to be reminded of this. Fear can paralyze faith. In just a nanosecond. Fear can stop us from taking steps of faith forward. Because fear looks only at the physical world. And adds things up only based on the physical world. In this moment of decision, Israel has, a, has to make a choice. And Joshua has a leadership challenge in front of him. What will he do? How will he help them move forward? Fear stands as a very real enemy. Fear stands as a faith killer. And so what does God tell Joshua three times in just nine verses? Did you catch it? Be strong and be courageous. Be strong, Joshua, and be courageous. It's almost like a coach giving a pep talk to his team in the locker room. Joshua, you've been preparing your whole life for this. Joshua, you can do this. You can move forward. This is you, Joshua. You can do this. But was God calling Joshua like that to step up forward in his own self? Joshua, you've got it in you. Joshua, this is about you. You've been training for this moment. I don't think so. Because there's a hint in this that we need to see. It's not simply about Joshua just manning up. Joshua having enough strength to just step forward. God wants Joshua to step forward in this bold step that will be secure because of what verse 5 says in, in this section. He's to have courage and strength because I, God, will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. Because God will be with him and not forsake him. And these are the exact simple words that God has shared once before with another hesitant leader named Moses in Exodus 3.12, who was called to face Israel and Pharaoh. There Moses responds with fear, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But God said the same thing to Moses. But Moses, I will be with you. This promise of God's presence is the game changer. It's not have courage and have strength in yourself. 
It's have courage and strength because I, because God's presence would be with his people. In other words, God is not looking for capable people. He's looking for for men and women who, who are made capable because of God's presence. Courage is obeying despite what we see and what we feel. So the solution that God is presenting to us when it comes to the issue of faith and fear, the solution is this. Courage and strength can be had because of God's presence. Faith is not the fear of the absence of fear. Faith is knowing who God is. And despite having and having faith despite how we feel. We step forward because God has promised things. And so we might think, well, that's really nice for Joshua because God had given him this strong promise. But is this for normal people like you and I today? Is this something we could possibly have? Because fear comes knocking at the door of my life constantly. There are two places in the New Testament that this same phrase, I will be with you, shows up. One of those is in the Great Commission. A couple weeks ago when we talked about multiply, we read the Great Commission. When Jesus is preparing to ascend to heaven, he's risen already at this point. He's died, he's risen, and now he's preparing to go away. And he's preparing the church for that, that time now when he would be away. And it says in there that Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to him. In other words, he's about to, with authority, declare to the church, to you and I, what our mission is between his ascension to heaven and his return again. And he said, go therefore, which go is the same thing that the Israelites were told. Time to move forward. This is not a stage of sitting down and just wait, wait, wait. We're waiting, but we're waiting with a sense of anticipation of going with a sense of movement. Go, therefore, as you go, everywhere that you go, make disciples of all nations in Grand Junction and in in Delta and in Denver and in in Washington, D.C. and anywhere in the world. Go, church, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And here's the piece. Do all this. But if you do it without God, you're doomed to fail. But look what he tells us. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He is the one who is with us. He promises his presence in the mission. His presence is what gives the power. It shows up again in Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 and talking about empowerment for the Christian life. In this specific spot, talking about contentment, and he says in in these verses, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, for God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The solution to covetousness Or we could probably easily broaden this. The solution to living the Christian life is the presence of God because he promised to never leave us or forsake us. So a question has to be asked. Does that mean that I could say by faith anything that I want to declare by faith? 
I want that. So I wonder how I could get it. By faith, I'll get that house. By faith, I'll get that job. Is that what we could say? Well, we would have to be careful here because faith can't be a way that we use to control God, to get what we want. We apply faith to the things that God wants. What does God want? And sometimes those things are not for our personal comfort or our health or our wealth or our easy or good life. Are the things that we're taking steps of faith in the things that God has actually called and commissioned us to do? You know, one of the areas that that has played out in my life has been some of the big decisions I've had to make. I want to share with you a little of the backstory of my coming to River of Life and something that you probably don't know about in some of the battle that I had when it came to the issue of fear. It was right around this time of the year, two years ago, that we were in contact with River of Life and the search committee and Bill Fry was, con- was in touch with me and we had done an interview right at the end of January. And we were sensing God's leading in his direction that way uh, in looking at coming towards River of Life. But as it got more serious, I had to be more serious with God. We were wanting God's will and trying to decide what exactly God wanted us to do. We were serving in a church up in northern Minnesota. And God had brought me to a real place of contentment there, of joy there. And I wasn't necessarily trying to find something right then. And as it came to the moment, this was a step of faith for me. Because this was a different role. It was a role that required more responsibility. It was a role that, that honestly, what sat in front of me is the fear of failure. And I, I battled with that. And I wondered, Lord, failure and, and what if, well, how will people respond? And, and what is it that I, I should do in this, in this moment? And about two or three weeks ago, I was in my Bible that I use at home, my Bible that I've had since the day I graduated from high school that my parents gave to me on that date. And a couple of weeks ago, I happened to open it up to Mark chapter 4 that God used very specifically in my life when it came to the decision of moving to Grand Junction. And inside of my Bible there is tucked a list that I had written out of things that I was struggling with when it came to the decision, when I was battling through the idea of, should I make this move forward or not in my life? Am I to stay where I am or do I go? And on this list that I made are a number of things that have to do with the issue of fear. Fear about all kinds of things. Fear about my family. Fear about what people will think when I, if I leave them and what that will do to them and how that might hurt people. Fear about what it would do just in the details of life and how the transition could actually happen. But at the bottom is being afraid. I listed being afraid for 25 years of my life. Some things that have marked fear as, as a factor in why I did and didn't do certain things. And God was revealing that to me in this moment. Fear of failure. Fear of the responsibility. Fear of being hurt. And all these things on this list of uh, this piece of paper, and I tucked it in here. And in Mark chapter 4, it's this story about 
the disciples being on a boat when a storm comes over them. And the disciples are responding in fear as this, what it calls a squall, came over the, the boat. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he, he says, quiet, be still. And the wind all died down and it was calm all of a sudden. And these words, when he turned to the disciples, these are the words he said to them. Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have, or do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? When I read those words, those were the very words that changed my heart and allowed me to lay aside some of my fears that I was wrestling with. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I mean, he pointed out, and then it says about how the disciples, after he had done this, they said, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. The power of God that's present in, in the presence of God for believers. Why are you so afraid still? Do you still have no faith? God used that to show me this was the step forward that I needed to take in my life. I praise him for that. And it was his word that helped me move that direction. As we think about what God is calling us to do, fear is one of those enemies. But the second one may not seem so obvious. The second one is one that Joshua is called towards as Joshua is getting his pep talk from God about courage and strength and God's presence with him. <coughs> but he also is reminded of some, something here that's so intricately woven into God's presence with his people. I think here, little did Israel know why this would be so important. Because just a little bit later, the temptation to just toss this one out would be right there. Just a few weeks later, the temptation would be there to just toss this one out. Maybe that's why God is reminding Joshua and the people of it right here. You see it in verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you, have, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God is very concerned about Israel working in obedience to him. That they're to walk forward only in obedience to him. You see, the second faith killer that would derail what God was doing here and in your life is this word disobedience. Disobedience. You see, God is concerned all throughout the book of Joshua with the purity of worship in the hearts of his people. They are to love him purely. And if they're going to love him purely, the evidence of that would be that they obey him fully. Because a divided heart obeys partly. A divided heart obeys later. And what Israel and Joshua could see now, could not see now, was how viable the risk of disobedience would be. It has already bit them before in the desert. 
And here they are in need of, of a reminder about this, of how obedience is so important. As we'll discover in just a few weeks, small decisions of disobedience, even by one person, almost threw the whole step of faith off. And in some ways, the, the consequences of, of partial obedience led to years and years of difficulty for Israel. And so you see in God's instruction to Joshua that the word of God was to play a vital role in their step of faith in, in order for them to obey. <clears throat> in order to do the law that was given to Moses, he would have to be married to it. He'd have to be in it all the time. In fact, they are told there to speak it, to meditate on it, day and night. They would find that years later, just like King David would find, your word will be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But is God now changing what he had just told Moses, uh, sorry, told Joshua a few minutes ago? That success was not dependent upon him, but about upon his presence? Is he now saying... Okay, I've switched my gear. Joshua, I'll, it'll all be based on whether or not you can do this or not. It, kind of a works-based idea. Well, I don't think so. I think what's going on here is this. Joshua will not succeed because he obeys God's instruction. But he will succeed because God is with him in order to enable him to obey God's instruction. Does that make sense? It's not that Joshua was going to succeed just because he obeyed God's instruction as if it's all based on Joshua's ability and the people's ability to obey. But it's God's presence that will give them the ability to obey him. And like Joshua, Christians do not succeed spiritually because we obey God's law. Instead, God through Christ enables us to have victory over sin. It's God who does the work. And it's this dynamic where these two pieces come together, where God's presence empowers obedience. And obedience comes by the study of God's word. God helps us take steps of obedience when we are in his word. It's really simple. So the solution that's given to this faith killer is study the word. Be in it. Know it. You know, the follower of Christ finds that his steps must be led by the word of God all the time. We come to love it and to feast on it and, and to dig deep into it and find that these words give us life and hope and depth and instruction and they correct us and they shape us and they form us. I love the word of God because it leads me to God himself. Life in the kingdom of God has to be lived out in the word of God because God's word does that. It's not about how much passion we have. It's not about the depth of our, of our intent or how good our, our intentions were as we step forward in faith. It's actually just about simple obedience. And obedience doesn't come from some sort of latest gimmick or some preacher standing in front of you or the latest book that's out on the shelves for Christians. It comes from the word of God. It simply comes from the word of God. You know, and it leads us towards obedience. You know, we learn so much about obedience from watching parents and kids, right? You learn some of the basic principles of this, watching parents and kids and how they interact. And when you're a parent, you realize if they just follow the instruction, it would help them. And as kids, you, you have to learn those lessons. And, and some of the things that you base just basic parenting principles on, 
even the idea that my obedience is not dependent on somebody else's obedience. I don't obey because my brother or sister obeyed. I have to obey just because it's the right thing to do. In the same way, we don't obey God because we're waiting for our husband or our wife to obey God. We obey him because his word instructs us to do it. We don't wait for other people around us in order for us to begin to obey. Principles like this. Partial obedience is not obedience, is it? Partial obedience is not obedience. The other thing, delayed obedience is also not obedience. Obey now. Obey as soon as God shows you. Take that step forward. You know, the funny thing is about this is that we don't know if we're even being disobedient until we've been in the word that shows what obedience looks like. So we've got to be in the word. And if we're going to take steps forward, if we're going to be a people that lives on the mission of God, are we a people that are in the word of God? If you're serving God in some sort of ministry, are you in the word? Are you feasting upon it? If you're going to reach out to your neighbors, have you been in the word? Are we a people that are students of it, who feast on it? Like Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. I love those words. Well, after this talk by God to Joshua, about these things, fear and disobedience and the need for obedience in God's word. He commands the officers of the people to get ready. And you see it in verses 10 and 11. He says, guys, we're going to do it in three days. Within three days, we're going to cross the Jordan. So prepare yourselves. Tell the people to break camp. Take up the tents, get everything ready to go because we're about to move. And this time, rather than just roaming more circles in the desert... We're going to cross the Jordan and go where we've never been before to take possession of the land. You can imagine as that call went out throughout the officers, calling that out to the people, the mix of joy and fear, because here it is. There's no turning back once they move forward. And one final faith killer has to be addressed. And so the people are in this spot. One final faith killer has to be addressed before Israel could cross the Jordan. And it doesn't quite make sense until we understand the backstory of this. I'm going to read it to you from verses 12 through 15, where you see what's happening here. Verse 12 says this, And to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, so to, to about two and a half tribes of Israel, Joshua is going to go address these couple of people, these specific people. To them, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, your servant of the Lord, commanded you. He's singling them out. Remember this, saying the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and, you will give, and he will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives us rest, uh, rest to your brothers as he has given to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land your, of your possession and shall possess it. And the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. In other, in other words, towards the east. See the, and then they responded with faith and they gave their allegiance to, to Joshua. Here's what's going on here. 
this last faith killer that has to be uh, confronted. The story lies actually in Numbers chapter 32 of what's going on here, why this is so critical, why he calls out, singles out a particular group of people and looks for their loyalty. See, Numbers 32 takes place during the years of wandering. And remember, Moses is the leader during this time. And two and a half of the 12 tribes of Israel come to Moses during these wandering years and they make a special request of Moses. They say to Moses, as the beginning of that chapter tells uh, tells us in there, that they want to inherit the land east of the Jordan. At the beginning of that chapter, it explains to us their intent was they had a lot of livestock and that was some good land for livestock. And so they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we should have this land. Moses, as a good leader who knows the promise of God, thinks, oh man, again? Again? And his anger just burns against them. He suspected this veiled attempt at a conspiracy against fulfilling God's plan. They're supposed to go into the promised land, not settle outside of it. And and so his anger burns against them in this chapter. And he calls them a brood of sinful men. (coughs) He believes that they want to settle there and avoid the conquest of going into the land. And let the other tribes do it themselves. Moses sniffs out here a possible issue. And that's comfort. That they would settle here and then in doing so they would settle short. And leave everyone else hanging. And, and again let God's anger end up burning against the people of Israel. And so Moses puts his finger on something that attacks faith and that's comfort. And he asks the Reubenites and the Gadites to commit themselves to something. If you settle here. Would you give your word that comfort won't stop you from helping the rest of us move into the land that God has promised to us? Would you give your word? And they do. And then in giving their word that they would do that, they settle in that land and they start building cities and they have homes and they have tents instead of tents. And that's where Joshua chapter 1 comes in. I want to put up the same map as I showed you last week for just a second. The map is kind of helpful for understanding the geography of where all this is being played out. You see on the right-hand side, the left-hand side is, is what Canaan looked like before it was inhabited by Israel. On the right is after they took Israel and took all the promised land. And you see Manasseh and Gad and Reuben are all on the east side of the Jordan River. They had settled on that side and that's where they stayed. It was on the east side of the Jordan. Not the area that God had told them to go into and promised to them, but they had decided that that would be a good spot. And so Joshua chapter 1, we get to this spot. Those people have already occupied their, their places. Why do you think Joshua now went back to them to ask them if they were, they were and, and talk to them very specifically? Because comfort, I mean, they built their homes, they're now settled, they're, they're, they're settled in. And he comes to them and asks them if they're still willing to come along. So this third faith killer would be comfort. Comfort often paralyzes our faith. It leads to partial steps of, of faith. Or it could stop it altogether. Why? Because it's so much easier to stay put when we're comfortable than to move forward. Unless the pain or the cost of staying put is worth the sacrifice of moving forward. 
So when Joshua spots this, he reminds the people of this larger purpose that's going on. And he puts their eyes back into God's purposes. See, every good Christian leader is going to do the same. They're going to unite God's people around the purpose of God, the plan of God. And call people out of their comfort and into his plans. So the solution to comfort is this. God's people coming in unity around God's mission. It's about God's people, the church, coming around God's mission. That the cost of sitting and staying put is far too great. It's far greater than the cost of moving forward. God's plan would not have come together if God's people were divided. Passivity, in this case, would have led to disunity. And Joshua is calling to the people unity. So what's our mission? Our mission is to join God in his ministry of reconciliation. We join God in the New Testament church in his ministry of reconciliation. And before we can move into the place of rest, this is the mission that God's given us. 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of recon- entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, life centered around the mission of God changes everything. It allows God's people to move forward together. That our steps of faith, our steps of of, of boldness, whether it's the small pieces in your individual life or the big pieces in the collective life of the church, are around the mission and his purpose. The mission of Christ and his purpose. Faith moves us forward into people's lives, helping them be reconciled to him. Is that your life purpose? Is that what your heart beats for? That you're willing to sacrifice everything in your comfort in order for people to be reconciled to God. That's the call of the New Testament church. The most loving thing you can do for another person is share the gospel with them. You see, faith confronts my comfort by saying the mission is more important. What's that look like in a church? It looks like this. Saying that the multiplication of my journey group is more important than my comfort of friends. That planting a church that would cost us something that would be difficult, that would be strenuous, that would require sacrifice is more important than the comfort of what we have now. This beautiful thing we have now. But that the stirring up that that would cause is more important. It says that when people come in that are not the same as me, that 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 would be a joy in my life. It would be a joy to see new people included into the family, this body that we love called River of Life. He would say that my, my comfort of just going through my routine can be shaken up because God wants me to do something on mission for him, with him, to join him in that. And laying my schedule, my, my life out before him. 
So three faith killers, fear and disobedience and comfort sit in front of us. A disciple is going to constantly be facing faith battles. And those three faith killers would stand in front of you almost every time. Is there a step of faith in front of you in your life where you're asking the question, will I respond with faith or not? My bet is if you are in a place where you're dealing with a step of faith, that there is a faith killer, one of those three that's in front of you. But God has given you a solution. Will you turn to him and slay the killer with the solution? Father, as a church body, I know that many times we walk by faith and not by sight. And there lie decisions in front of us all the time. And no doubt that we all feel some of these things. We sense them. But God, we don't want to respond based on our feelings or by sight. We want to respond based on your promises and what you've told us to do. God, we love your word and that it instructs us and it guides us and helps us to move forward. And God, we want to be a church that's moving forward. And would you build your heart into us of what you care about? God, right now, I'm sure that some people are sitting in that place, step of faith that sits in front of them. And will they respond with your word that has given a solution? God, help us to apply that to our places of faith. Help our people to respond with great faith for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Church, I love you. I love the way that you respond to the word. I love the way that you, you interact with the word. And if you'd like to pray this morning, I'd be glad to be down here in the front and pray with you. Some of our elders could be present and pray with you. So come on up after the service for that. I want to leave you with these words from Colossians chapter 3. Words of encouragement, words of empowerment, words that are, are fighting words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.